Hi everyone. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight for our very special conversation on military marriage, healing, and the journey that so many of us experience as we build a life together with our partner. Um, my name is Kate and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Military Spouse and I'm very excited to introduce you to Corey Weathers who's our 2015 Military Spouse of the Year. And we're going to be talking about marriage and we're going to be talking about Corey's journey. And as you know there are so many high moments and there are certainly challenges in, in any marriage. But tonight we're going to address some very unique challenges that military couples face. And that includes separation, reintegration, and the very real reality that military couples, by definition, are going to face a lack of shared experiences. So many of you on here have followed Corey's journey to the Middle East with Secretary of Defense Ash Carter. It was an extraordinary journey. It was the first time this has ever happened that a spouse has been able to travel with the Secretary of Defense in the capacity, not necessarily reporting as press. Corey's journey was very, very different. It was very unique. Um, instead, Corey really traveled with the secretary to get a glimpse into the sort of the other side. Um, as a military spouse, of course, like so many of you on here, we experience a deployment in a very, very different way than our partner experiences a deployment. Um, our roles are drastically different. Our roles on the home front are very different than the role that our spouse or partner has while they're overseas. And because of that, because of those differences, when we come back together, even during those separ separations, there can be challenges that develop. And so we're really looking for ways to sort of bridge that gap. So first I'd like to take a moment to really introduce Corey. Um, as you know, Corey Weathers again is the 2015 Military Spouse of the Year. She is an Army spouse. She's a licensed professional counselor and she's also the spouse of an Army chaplain. Now Corey has worked with individuals and families for the past 15 years. Um, what I think is very interesting is that she's certified in prolonged exposure for use in post-traumatic stress disorder from the Department of Defense Center for Deployment Psychology and she sees many military members and their families who struggle with the hidden wounds of war. Also what's really really wonderfully unique about Corey is that together with her husband Captain Matt Weathers, Corey um, leads marriage retreats for military couples and relationship retreats for actually for single soldiers. So she's beyond being just a counselor, her focus has always really been on building those military marriages. So she's also the host of the Life Giver Military Spouse podcast, which is awesome, and you guys have to check it out. We're going to give you the link at the end of it, too. Her podcast features counseling advice on how military families can improve their marriage, and it also provides positive hope by interviewing just amazing military spouses and couples, as well as organizations that are all very, very sincerely serving our military families. So we are just really thrilled that she's joining us today to discuss her journey, her personal story, and also what she learned. So it's not just what she learned about her own marriage, but for Corey, it's how she used herself almost as a guinea pig and her marriage as a guinea pig to be able to take those lessons and apply them to military couples. So when the DOD came to us at Military Spouse and asked us to recommend a military spouse that would be perfect on this trip, it was a very easy choice. She was the ultimate choice. But what makes it so interesting is, I think, as we sort of grew in this partnership with the DOD, this was never just an exciting trip for Corey. It was just never just some an opportunity, which in and of itself was fabulous. But like I said, this was really a fact-finding journey for Corey. Uh, she could uncover some of the questions that she had and also be able to put those lessons towards other couples. So as I hand this over to Corey here, I want everyone to know that there's going to be a question and answer session at the end of this. And if you look on your screen, there should be a little chat box or a chat icon at 
any point during this webinar, this discussion, if you have a question, please feel free to type it in that chat box because we have moderators um, looking and engaging, copying all those questions. So at the end of this broadcast, we're going to we've set aside some time for Corey to personally answer um, all of those questions. So we will definitely get to those. So again. Anytime, you don't have to wait to the end. Feel free to ask him throughout and we'll be moderating. So now, Corey, I would like to hand it over to you. Hey, everybody. Thanks, Kate. I am so excited about tonight. This whole trip started months and months ago, and Kate and I had to hold it a secret for a really long time, and we wanted to shout it out, and we couldn't. And so to now, for now, for me to be able to talk with you guys and, and have questions, and I really hope that you are going to ask some questions because it really was a remarkable experience. And so tonight, I really just want to share with you my own personal experience and how that affected my own marriage and all of that with the hope that maybe we can start a good discussion um, from here forward on how can we better our marriages by asking the right questions and communicating better as couples. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about my own journey and my own marriage and how it was affected. And, um, and then I'm going to share with you a little bit about what I think that you can do for your marriages too. But again, I think that this is a discussion that goes from today forward. It doesn't have to end at the end of this webinar. So feel free to, as we go along, to ask questions about what something was like for me and how it affected my marriage. Um, I don't want you to, it's, nothing is really off the table here. So um, I'm a, very comfortable with answering those questions. And also, if you maybe have some questions about uh, maybe your own experience and, um, and how maybe this ties in, then feel free to ask those questions. And if we don't get to those questions tonight because we only have an hour, then um, send them in anyways because I'm going to make a note of those questions and I hope to get as many questions answered as possible. So, But before we get started, I'm really excited. We're going to do a little bit of a fun interactive um, drawing. I'm going to give you a chance to win something, okay? So since we're talking about couples and communication and, and bettering our marriages and learning to ask the right questions and asking our service members to give us the right information so that we can understand their world a little bit better, what we're going to do is um, I want you to tweet about what we're doing here tonight. So um, you can see at the bottom of my screen, you're going to see um, hashtag journey. Do you see it right there, <laughs> hashtag mill spouse journey. And you also see um, my Twitter handle. Feel free to use that as well. And so here's what we're going to do. First of all, I would love to see you guys tweet maybe an, a, an image, like a take a picture of you guys watching this webinar right now and tweet it out and use that hashtag. And, um, and ask questions or quote things as we go along. And Kariah, who's moderating all of this, is going to keep track of who is tweeting out. And then we're going to have a drawing, and I'm going to tell you what we're going to win or what somebody's going to win. So I have this awesome game that is exactly about what we're talking about tonight, and it's called the Warrior Spirit Mission Homefront for Couples. And so it comes in this tin like this. And when you open it up, it's actually a game for couples, and it's specifically made for service members and their spouses. And so what you have in here is you have um, pencils and a dice here, and you've got a pad of paper to write on, and this is a game. And so in this deck of cards, it has wonderful questions um, for you to ask your service member and for the, your service member to ask you. And it's asking really great questions about... Um, what was your weirdest experience during the deployment? What's one thing that you didn't think to describe before that you want to describe to me now? What was it like? What did you guys do during your downtime? And they're, they're not necessarily obvious questions. They're really outstanding questions, including a lot of the emotional stuff that service members go through during deployment, too, such as... Um, do they still feel like it was um, worth what they sacrificed for? Is their job still worth it? So there's some really amazing questions in here. So whoever wins at the end of the uh, webinar is going to, I'm going to personally mail this to you. So I'm really excited that the timing of me finding this game is awesome. And you can, if you are interested in the game, you can go to missionhomefront.com and that's where you can order your own game because I think that they're fabulous. So, um, Kate, how, I'm going to send it back to you. How do you want to start? 
Well, this, Corey, this was such an awesome opportunity for you. Um, I'm just kind of wondering if you could tell, talk to the spouses and the military couples on here a little bit about why this was meaningful for you and, and what, how you were going to apply what you learned on this trip to, to spouses and to military couples. So let's maybe talk about that to start. So yeah, let me share with you the strategy of the trip and why I wanted to do it the way that I did. Kate said that um, I took this opportunity to be a guinea pig and that's that's really a great description of what I wanted it to be because um, I, when I got the opportunity, I really didn't want it to be like, oh, you know, yay, Corey gets to go experience the Middle East, but what about the rest of the spouses? And so I really wanted to make this as meaningful as possible to me, but also as meaningful as possible to as many spouses as possible and as many couples as possible. And so as I spoke with um, the, the secretary's office, I shared with them a time that I went out into the field, actually a brigade chaplain took some FRG leaders, some key spouse leaders, and myself out into the field one time and showed us what it was like for our service members to be out in the field. And it was like a mock deployment. And it was really wonderful for me before a deployment because I got to see what a DFAC looked like, which is your dining facility. I got to see um, a talk where all the, com the, the communications and the computers and everything were running. And so it was really helpful so that when my husband was deployed and said that he was in the talk for the day, I had a mental picture of where he was and I knew that he was safe. Um, we t did everything like trying MREs and having bad coffee and and so all of these experiences to actually experience it myself was huge for reducing anxiety and giving me a sense of peace of where he was going to be during deployment and at least a little bit of what they do during deployment. So when I spoke with the defense office and told them, hey look, this is an outstanding idea. This is not just about me going and seeing what it's like during deployment and then writing about it. I really want to do whatever I can to take families into the deployment as much as possible. And I know that, that it's almost near impossible. You almost have to be with me. Um, but that's why we're starting this discussion so we can talk about um, everything that I learned and communicate that in maybe a way that service members don't. So what I did was I had my own idea of things that I wanted to see and so I talked with Matt, my husband Matt, ahead of time and I said, what would be important for me to experience to, help, to understand you better? What experiences did you have? What thrills did you have? Obviously I wasn't going into some place that was safe or, or where there was combat, but some of the other things that um, I knew that I didn't understand, um, but I wanted to know what did he want me to understand and so he shared some of those things with me, but there was also um, you know, my my marriage is a lot like a, a lot of yours. Even though my husband is a chaplain and doesn't carry a gun, um, in some ways, um, I think I can speak for chaplain spouses that that's almost more unnerving to know that your soldier is going into some place where he could be in danger, but he's not allowed to carry a gun. Um, he has a chaplain assistant that's there to protect him, and the reason for that, very short answer for that is because his role is that if someone is wounded or dying his role is to be there with them not fighting and so um, I really wanted to well I was he came home different from our first deployment it was a very difficult first deployment and I'm going to share more about that later but I like many of you have had a service member that came home different and um, just just to share one example, I know when he came home for his R&R, for his two-week break, um, as soon as he got home and we sent the boys upstairs just to watch TV and give him a break from the loud noises, he just burst into tears and started to weep. And I knew from that moment that something had changed and something was different. And so, and in that moment, I also felt like there was this separation between the two of us where it was like, there's something that's happened in his life that I didn't get to experience and I don't know what that is and I don't know what it's like and even when he shared it with me I really didn't feel like I could really understand him the way that I really wanted to and I just felt like there was just this gap that was there so over time um, we learned to call these sacred spaces and I had my own sacred spaces there were moments during the deployments 
where I overcame something that I didn't think that I could overcome. I, I share a lot even on my podcast that you know I had a really bad car accident with the boys in the car and having to get through that experience and then figure out how to find a new and find and buy a new car. There were so many things that took everything in me to figure out how to do it and overcome my fear and overcome my anxiety and build confidence that that became a sacred space. There was nothing that Matt could ever do to fully understand what it was like for me to get through the deployment that we did and there was no way I could ever understand what some of his experiences were like in deployment and so in order to get through this lack of understanding each other we decided to call them sacred spaces and so it was this idea of going you know tread lightly on these areas because you know we want to talk about them we want to communicate them but you're never going to fully understand what that took from me and so I need you to respect it instead of telling me what I should have done or telling you um, what could have been better how you should handle it now and so we learned to call them sacred spaces and we use that to this day to talk about how do we just take care of each other and respect each other but right before this trip I realized or I started to actually process and think to myself that was a really good strategy for us to use for a long time but I'm I'm kind of looking at it now and going what if we have too many sacred spaces is it possible for us to go through so many unshared experiences together that there's actually a distance between us and our relationship and I started to wonder what, maybe there's a really negative um, impact on our marriages by having all of these unshared experiences and how can we start to close the gap. So my strategy going into this trip was to understand my husband and to do that and this was a really risky thing for me to do because I had a lot of emotions and a lot of resentment and I had a lot of frustration um, towards the military, towards deployment, towards the Taliban, towards whoever for taking this piece of my husband and changing him and so I, um, I, I decided I'm gonna put all of that aside. I'm gonna push it all aside. Does it, I'll come back to it later but I decided to put it all aside and I'm gonna pursue my spouse. I'm gonna pursue my husband and I wanna get to know him. I want to understand what he went through as much as possible and in order for me to do that I needed to push my own stuff aside and really focus on him and and so I went into the trip and I decided I wanted to make it multi-sensory so that means we experience things especially traumatic experiences whether it was my car accident or whether it was just I had a bad day because my kids were throwing up in the car you know and that's really rough to clean up <laughs> but you know so I really we hold these moments in our minds through our senses so for me back at home I can still feel what that car wreck was like I can still hear my kids when they started crying I can still smell <laughs> vomit in my car and those those major moments in our life are captured in our brains through our senses and so that's why especially for service members if they've had traumatic experiences that if they smell something that reminds them of that experience they immediately are taken back there all the sensory parts of their brain light up and they literally are experiencing that moment again in real time and so they are hearing they are smelling they are seeing that traumatic moment all of a sudden um, just like I can I can tell you if I were to drive down that stretch of highway again I would have that anxiety I would have that moment of kind of re-experiencing that moment and so I went into this trip and I wanted to make it multi-sensory so I went into it going I want to pay attention to all five of my senses and report them back to you and say this is what I smelled this is how that affect me this is what I see this is what I'm feeling right now this is and this is how I'm processing it and how hearing things impacted me too and that way I was also able to pay attention to what um, what do what do spouses really want to see during deployment that maybe your service members don't know that they need to share you know they come home and they maybe take a picture of where they're sleeping but mm -hmm. there's all these other questions that we have as a spouse of you know well you said it took you that far to walk to the bathroom you know especially women I know we have male spouses watching this too but especially women we have a huge vocabulary and so they say I walked a long way to the bathroom from my tent and we're like well, 
how far was it and at what time of night and so we have like 30 questions that can overwhelm them and so that's one of the things that I did was try to answer some of the questions that I felt that spouses wouldn't um, that would want to know but maybe service members don't generally ask so Corey why don't we why don't we kind of move into walking through the trip maybe starting from day one what did you feel like when you boarded the plane what was your experience like when you arrived what was day one like day two just kind of a little walk a little walk through about what you saw the sites that you saw on the so, day so my husband calls deployment bizarro world I don't know if any of you guys mm -hmm. out there have your your spouses that call it bizarro world too but you know this week was bizarro world for me and I know that it wasn't like an actual deployment um, but it was very similar to a deployment and, and my husband and I paid a lot of attention to that and it really surprised me with how much it felt like it mimicked almost a deployment. So there were some things that were exciting and different that only comes with the VIP kind of stuff of the Secretary of Defense and that was a lot of fun stuff like on, on the plane that I got to get on and um, some of the, the extra experiences that I got to have, the hotel that I stayed in that was, that was nice but I was more appreciative of a place to sleep <laughs> than anything else. But um, there was there was a lot of pre-deployment stuff that I wasn't expecting and you know the day that we left the day the plane took off my husband at home was receiving our household goods we had just PCS and it was a complete role reversal and so here I was going to the Middle East and he didn't know when I was going to have contact at home again and or when I was going to be able to call home and he's having to receive household goods by himself and we had to call my dad in to help and um, and he got to really experience setting up the house and having that anxiety of how can I make the house feel like a home before she gets back and it was also right before Christmas so he was trying to decorate for Christmas um, so there's a whole lot of wonderful role reversal stuff that we went through that we um, that I'm going to unpack later. Um, maybe not necessarily in this webinar, but it was um, those of you who followed it on social media. He was even posting some things on his Facebook that was like, "Wow, I'm understanding spouses from a whole new perspective." But for me, um, there was a lot of nervousness. Like I didn't want to leave because I wanted, I was kind of afraid to go. I mean, this was going to the Middle East, and even though I was going to be safe, it was like, "Oh, I gotta." going this long, I had never gone across the world away from my kids like that before and to my kids it was just another spa, another parent going to Afghanistan or going to the Middle East and so I had to attend to a lot of their feelings on that. Um, there was also, those of you who've been through pre-deployment, there was also like this, I really am excited to go but I really shouldn't be excited to go. I really should feel like I want to stay home and and I would give it all up in order to be with family and yet I really feel called to go and, and do a good job with it and, and at one point my husband just really just gave me permission to put my mind on the mission and just pay attention to that and not worry about them so much and I realized for me, wow, I should have done that for him. And I can I can look back and see how he needed to go, um, and he and so many of our service members experience that where they're like, "I'm ready to go," but I feel bad for being ready to go because I should really be home with my family members and be present with them. But I can tell you that being given the permission to set my mind on what I needed to do doesn't mean that I ignored everybody. But those times that I was preoccupied and setting my mind um, on what I needed to do and learn to be okay with that was really exceptionally wonderful and helpful for me. Um, getting on the plane was was crazy. Um, there was a press conference in the middle of the plane. I sat with the press group that was outstanding, outstanding group of people. And um, I might get to that later. Um, but just how important our press and journalists are to helping us understand what's going on on the other side of the world and how our service members play a part in that was so important that I didn't really get before. Um, I was almost ashamed looking back of how I really wasn't aware of the news and I didn't allow myself to watch the news and yet the news is a very big part of our service members mission and what they're trying to accomplish and it's important for me to understand that more and so I really got to watch our journalists work very hard every single day trying to get the story right um, and a lot of our service members who are trained as public affairs officers to give them the right information and teach them the right information so that they can relay that back um, so we, when we took off, we went straight to Turkey. So it was 
Um, my first day ran into what was kind of the second day of the trip, but actually the first day of Mill Spouse Journey. So a um, little bit of sleep on, on the trip, and, and there was no time to adjust um, to the time change. So we went straight to Turkey, um, where we have a lot of service members, which I would, I would love to know if any of our service members from Turkey are watching this, because it was a fantastic opportunity to see a lot of our military spouses and families that are stationed um, at Inserlik Air Base in Turkey. And for them, um, it was the one time I was going to get to be around family members, and so I really took advantage of talking with them. Um, it was mostly Air Force, and so I got to see the incredible Air Force community, which all of our Air Force spouses that are watching, you guys know how amazingly awesome it is to be an Air Force family. I really, I, my dad was an Air Force pilot, but he was in the reserves. So most of my experience is Army, so I thoroughly enjoyed the Air Force and watching what they're capable of. Um, but the big takeaway from day one was seeing that our spouses over there don't even get to leave post or leave base because of the threats of ISIS that are right at their gate. Um, and for them, the biggest takeaway was they were watching their service members do the daily strikes into Syria and um, in Iraq. Um, and, and just to see their service members actually doing the mission, like right out their front door, was um, what a lot of spouses are calling right now the at-home deployment. It's like they're not really deployed, they're actually at home, but it feels like a deployment. And so they had a whole new respect for um, where, how our service members need rest. Um, and time to recuperate, and that's also what I got from the Air Force crew that day was their need to rest and recuperate before we as family members jump in and say, hey, let's talk about your day and your trip, and let's talk about the kids, and let's, like, they really need to rest and get accustomed to that time change before we jump in, especially for Air Force. Um, day two was um, to Herbal, Iraq. No, it was to Baghdad. It was Baghdad, Iraq. Um, which I was so excited to go to Baghdad, and then we had this fog issue. I was supposed to get on a helicopter and go to some undisclosed location, um, which ended up getting canceled. And so we, I ended up staying in Baghdad, which I was totally fine with because, I mean, we all hear about Baghdad, and I wanted to experience Baghdad. So um, my biggest takeaway from Baghdad was um, a couple things. One was the lack of color. Um, I know my husband came home saying how when he came back to America, how there were so many bright colors and smells, and and it kind of took him by surprise. And really, over there, it is cac is like cement, gravel, um, camouflage, and that's about it. Like it is a huge lack of color, and so that really stood out to me. Huge cement walls that were like 15 feet high. Um, almost lined up like a maze, like as you kind of walk down these alleyways, um, that's how you're kind of getting to the DFAC, and, and that part of that's out of protection. Um, watching the jets take off from there, I spoke with some female soldiers there, um, and the big takeaway I think from that was um, how they really um, have such a small amount of space. I know for, it was we talked about care packages, and I struggle, I don't know about you guys, but I struggle with trying to figure out what to put in care packages. And I really never knew what to send, and I send a bunch of junk. Sorry, Matt. <laughs> I sent a bunch of junk because I didn't know what else to put in it. And, and the big takeaway from them was we really don't need anything, and I think we hear that a lot from our service members. I don't need anything. Um, and that doesn't help for when we want to send something. Um, but they really turn off that part of their brain of what they want because there's no way to really fulfill what they want. And so they really are working off of basic needs. Um, and so you know, Sarah, I, mm -hmm. I actually have a question because yeah. as you're talking about that, um, and I don't want to move you too far forward, but yeah. as, as I'm listening to you describe the sights and the sounds and sort of the differences and the different experiences, I do want to get into talking about day four a little yeah. bit because I noticed that was particularly emotional for you. And I think that's also a good segue into talking about what sort of the deployment does to our intimacy in our marriage and how it shocks people during reintegration. So maybe we could just talk, maybe if I could just ask you a little bit about why that day was 
was so moving for you. Yeah, those of you who would watch my video blog from that day, it was a very emotional day, and part of that was because I was ex extremely exhausted. Um, but what that did for me is it recalled a time during our first deployment when my husband was extremely exhausted. Um, we went through, he, we had lost a many, he had lost several of his friends, um, were killed and um, killed on a mountainside, killed by um, RPGs, just lots of stuff. And his job as a chaplain was to um, be with those bodies, um, to to spend that those last few minutes. He was also spent a lot of time in the OR, and so even though he was a chaplain and not out in combat, he was very much interacting with death and woundedness, and um, he was really exhausted. And so. There was this point during the deployment, um, and by the way, day four, we went to Fenty in Afghan FOB Fenty in Afghanistan, and that's actually, and the Department of Defense did not plan this um, ahead of time specifically for me. They had already planned to go to FOB Fenty in Afghanistan, but that's actually where our brigade was sent during that deployment. And so um, going there, and it was a historic year for our brigade, and it was a historic year for our unit, and we lost... Um, 11 soldiers and we lost so many more within the brigade that year um, and it was a rough year for both of us and so when I went to Fob Fenty there was a memorial that's there at Fob Fenty and it was one of the things that my husband wanted me to see because that memorial was our deployment it was our guys and it was emotional to see their names because I knew their names and it was emotional because I was exhausted and I remember my husband being so exhausted while he was there and I was so close um, the only way I can describe it is, you know, when you throw a pebble in the lake or in the water, it has this ripple effect. And so, so many of us family members feel the ripples of what happens during a deployment and what happens during, while our service members are serving. And we may not get to experience um, what happened when they were there, but we do experience the effects and the consequences of that. And so, what it, when I got to Fenty, it was like, going to where the pebble fell and it was the closest that I could actually get to where my husband had called me exhausted and wanting to cry but couldn't bring himself to cry and so it also flooded me with um, so many connections of our Gold Star families who had lost their, their service member there and I knew so many of them that were not going to get the closure that I was getting and so it was extremely emotional for me to be there um, and I felt like my husband and I were able to reconnect for just a moment. I actually called him from Afghanistan the way that he called from Afghanistan to me and I woke him up. All, this is for all of you family members out there, spouses. I actually woke him up at like 5.30 in the morning and he got that call saying it's, it's coming from Maryland <laughs> when we all know it's not from Maryland. And so um, it was a great moment, but um, it was very emotional because for for the first time, I felt like that those sacred spaces got a little closer, and the gap um, was closed a little bit because I was able to understand what he was saying and understand what he was seeing with his eyes and what he was smelling. Um, Corey, what would you you know as we move forward, what would you feel more comfortable talking about first? Do you would you want to talk about how that um, how everything that you experienced and and can see now from the other side how that what it does to our intimacy or, or in marriage, or um, or just sort of how that experience shocks people during reintegration and why reintegration moves from a happy time to a possible angry bitter time? Which one do you think? you'd prefer to talk about first? So I think that, um, I, I think I want to say a little bit more about um, that for me, and what I'm challenging spouses to do, and this is really hard spouses, um, I know I'm asking you to do something really tough, and I wouldn't ask you to do this had I not done it and tried it myself. And so if I could summarize what this whole experience was like and what it was about and how it, you can do the same thing in your marriage. Um, I realized, especially on the way home, I realized that all the work that I did to understand my husband better, I didn't have to go to the Middle East to do it. I didn't have to go on the other side of the world to 
put myself in his shoes and really pay attention and really think about what he had said to me. So many of my experiences over there were because I had remembered or recalled something that he had said and then I went to go look for that and understand it and kind of sit in this pocket of, okay, he said that when he was on the C-17, the roar of the engines and, and the rumble of the plane just was just elated him. It just was exciting. And so it didn't take me riding in a C-17 to kind of sit there and actually process that and think about it and put myself in that same situation and think about, okay, I can understand how that would be exciting and I could understand how that would bring that adrenaline rush. And so what my challenge is to you as spouses is a very difficult challenge I know because we have so many family members that are exhausted and you've been working really hard and one of the number one questions I get from spouses is I can't get my service member to go get help and I've been working so hard on my marriage I'm exhausted it's it's his turn it's the service members turn or it's her turn and I I just want to hit a big pause button because I'm so tired and let them start working for a while and I, I get that I understand that I've been there I have been resentful I have been tired I've been exhausted I have worked really hard and just wanted to hit a pause button and say I'm done for a little while it's your turn and so my challenge to you is that marriage can't move forward if we do that marriage can't grow and strengthen if we hit a pause button at at no point should we ever just stop working on our marriage and stop trying and so my challenge to you if you want to apply this to your own life my challenge to you is to number one keep trying keep pursuing your spouse keep trying to understand their experience I know we have a lot of service members that come home that don't want to share what they went through and if you have someone if you have a spouse that's like that um, this I think this game is a really great start because it gives specific questions that you may not know how to ask um, it gives them a chance to to ask them and it gives you an open window a time when you've set aside a specific time to play the game or have a discussion where you're not surprising um, your service member they know what to expect and they know they're going to talk about it and where you can ask specific questions and it's just about listening and putting our own stuff aside for just a minute and listening to what they're going through and what they did go through um, and then being able to put ourselves in that situation and understand and say you know what I don't want to live through that too but I can understand what that must be like for you and why that still affects you today Corey, do you have any tips? I mean, you've kind of talked about this, but do you have any tips on how couples can really listen to each other actively and engage yeah. actively, especially because, um, you know, when when they go, when the one spouse deploys and the spouse is home, there's certainly the idea that people have in their heads where they're going to get together and they're going to be patient and they're going to listen to one another. But there's a difference between passive listening and active listening. Right. And how to start? How how would a couple maybe practice that real active yeah. listening? So here's the easiest tip that I can give you. Um, those of you who've been to marriage retreats have probably heard of the speaker-listener technique, but I think all of us um, can use a huge refresher on that. And my husband and I, we teach speaker-listener technique, and we are both counselors, and we still use this tool. So mm -hmm. it can be used for it at any point. And so here's the, here's the gist. All of us, especially in conflict, all we really want is to feel understood. Each of us. Each of us want to feel understood and heard. And what happens is in a conflict, everybody is wanting to be heard and understood at the same time. And so we're not really listening to each other. We're just kind of butting heads and yelling over each other. And I want to be heard first. No, I want to be heard first. And so that's how it escalates, right? You're not hearing me. You don't understand me. You're not, you're not saying you're sorry. Whatever that is, it's about wanting to be heard and understood. And so the speaker-listener technique is very simple, and that's why I love it. So number one, the number one tip is if you need a timeout, if things are escalating, take a timeout. But here's the deal. If you take a timeout, you, whoever is calling the timeout, has to call a time in. There are no forever timeouts. There are no walking out the door and slamming the door because all that does is triggers abandonment in the other person and they don't know when they're when you're going to come back or if you're coming back and it just triggers abandonment issues. So if you need a timeout, that's the first tip. 
you have to say, you know what, we're escalating. I don't think this is, I think we need to cool off. I need to cool off and process a little bit. I'm calling a timeout, but I'm going to call a time in in an hour. Or I'm gonna let's call a timeout and we'll talk it again tomorrow morning after the kids go to school or at dinner or after the kids go to bed. You have to call a time in. Number two, it's very easy. One person is a speaker, one person is a listener, and you have to decide who that is. And so maybe you use um, a pen, you use a phone, you use something to signify. I'm the listener because I'm holding um, the object, and so whoever has the object is the speaker. And so the speaker says. Um, very simple in one to two sentences. Um, this is what I want to say to you. And usually I say I'm going to make this really easy. So X Y Z in situ. I hope you guys are taking notes. So um, <laughs> in, situation, in situation X, when you do Y, it makes me feel Z. Or if you're talking about deployment, to be able to go when this happened, it made me feel this way. And one to two sentences. And ladies, one to two sentences. I know, I know we can go on forever, but you have to limit it, limit it because men have a timer in their brain and they shut off. And so if you ramble on and on, they shut off and they don't know what you're saying after a while. So um, typically men are that way. So um, speaker says, during deployment, this was my experience and it made me feel this way. The listener then says exactly what the speaker said word for word. Do not paraphrase it. Don't read into it. You simply say word for word as best as you can what you heard them say. That will then give the speaker an opportunity to go, yes, that's what I meant, or no, I don't think you got it. Let me try again. And you can go back and forth doing that a couple times until that one topic is that person can say, okay, I feel like you understand. Then you can maybe talk about changing over and switching places, um, but you address one topic at a time. So that's the easiest way that I can say, speaker or listener, make sure you take your timeouts, keep it very simple, one to two sentences max, and you will be surprised at how much that slows the conversation down. And Kate, the only other thing that I'm gonna add to that is that we have a lot of service members who are going to be talking about very sensitive things. And yes. so um, I know for my husband, and I would encourage this for other, other service members, um, spouses, if you are listening to your service member talk about something difficult, um, number one, try not to interrupt too much. This is a time to maybe not use the speaker-listener technique if you see them go into kind of that tunnel-visioned, you're seeing them relive it, and they kind of get that thousand-yard stare where they're not really talking to you, they're just kind of talking at the wall. Um, and you can talk to your service member ahead of time, would you want me to ask questions or do you want me to just let you talk? And so if you see them kind of going into that thousand yard stare, um, just kind of let them go there, but maybe um, you'd agree ahead of time that you have your hand on their knee or you're holding mm -hmm. hands. So there's that physical touch that keeps your service member in the present and not completely back there in the past. And if you see them at any time getting anxious or overwhelmed, then maybe that's where you interject in a loving and kind way and just say, you know, do we need to take a time out? Do we need to pause for a second, maybe come back to this some other time? And give them as much control over the conversation as possible. This is not a time to resolve problems or resolve conflict or deal with your resentment or your frustration. This is really a time to listen. So just as an example, my husband, um, after he came home during reintegration, I thought everything was fine and normal. And we were watching Grey's Anatomy. And, and like I said, he had spent a lot of time in the OR. And there was one scene in Grey's Anatomy that just completely threw him back into Afghanistan. And I later found him upstairs in our bedroom on the floor in fetal position just weeping. And oh so sitting down with him and just letting him process that, um, to get, get that out and know that he was in a safe place. Um, but just know that after that, you kind of need to cushion. He's going to be hypersensory aware and just be prepared to kind of cushion your time and, and maybe keep the kids pretty settled and calm until they kind of get their bearings back. Corey, they're having some, we're having some really good questions that come in. And one question, as before I start to get into to some of the questions that I'm seeing, um, one question that I, I would really love to piggyback off the active listening, something that I personally have experienced in my own marriage. And just the other day, I was in, um, in a spouse group, and 
this, a question was asked about when somebody is sharing their story, um, how do you respond or how do you prevent yourself really um, from, from allowing them to share without having that defensiveness and competition. It's mm -hmm. something that I've done, I mean, a million times, not just on deployment, but careers and everything, but we, we you know, that's obviously a topic for a different time. But as you're talking about that active listening um, internally as a spouse mm -hmm. and, and maybe some, as, a, as a spouse could explain to their partner, what's the best way to combat that? As far as, as dealing with your internal defensiveness? Well, you know, essentially, yes. So when somebody sits down and they're listening and they're making a point to be active and engaged, internally, though, there is always sort of, I think, and a lot of times, you know, is there that thing in the back of your head, well, I know you went through this, but I went through this, yeah. and I, you know, I dealt with Murphy here, and the kids, yeah. and we all got sick, and we went to the hospital, and you know how it gets, it gets overwhelming, and there's that competition of, even for couples that have very strong marriages, and yeah. really love one another, there's that competition of, um, I had it worse, and sometimes what happens is, and this is sort of a two-parter, is that the you know, I don't want to get too stereotypical, but because I sometimes take on this role myself, but one person in their defensiveness will just shut down and just doesn't want to talk. So yeah. how do you how do you overcome it when your spouse doesn't even want to talk yeah. because you're both defensive? So before you can even get to that listing phase, you know. Yeah. So so first of all, I think this is where sacred spaces is really helpful. It gives you um, a terminology to use as a couple to say, um, hey, this moment in my life was really sacred and, and there is no way to compare. There's no way to compare what you went through compared to what I went through. And so being able to say that the, this is my sacred space, um, and this, this actually came from a moment like that between my husband and I when... Um, he had spent a lot of time talking about his experiences during deployment. And of course, I don't understand what it's like for you to zip up your best friend in a body bag. But for me, you know, he, but yet at the same time, he was telling me what I could have done better when, the, when I wrecked the car. And I had this moment that, what, exactly what you're talking about, where it just came up in me, this defensiveness of, mm -hmm. you have no idea what I went through. <laughs> you know, and so... I think that was the moment for us where we said, you know what, wow, we both have these places that are really meaningful to each of us independently. And so they're sacred, that meaning they are isolated and they are important and we should be very careful and mindful of them. And so we will still use sacred spaces um, between the two of us when, you know, it's kind of like that. Ch you chime in during the conversation when you're starting to get that competition maybe thing is starting to happen and you can just very calmly say you know this is a sacred place for me you will never understand what it was like for me to go through that to worry about you to think that you were in harm's way to think something happened to you and I want to be able to talk about it but I also need you to understand that no amount of you telling me I could have done it better or whatever the conversation is about is going to change that significant event for me so I would just encourage everyone to remember that we can't compete with our sacred spaces um, and that when you find yourself getting defensive, this is a really, this is another tough challenge um, and I know it because I live it too. You know, marriage is not, not easy and my marriage isn't easy either and so um, when we find ourselves in one of those moments where I get, I feel myself getting defensive, um, internally I have to ask myself. Do I want to be that person that um, you know really forces my way in and says me first, or mm -hmm. do I want to be the more mature person in the conversation and serve my spouse first and say you know what I'm going to set my stuff aside. We'll come back to it, but I'm going to set my stuff aside and I'm going to listen to you first. I'm going to choose to be the listener first. And my husband and I now have this competition of who's going to be the listener first because whoever's the listener first is usually the most mature and then that makes the other person mad. And so, so to be able to go in the middle of a conversation, this is how you cue them. They're saying something and you as the listener repeat back and say, what I hear you saying is you don't feel like I'm listening to you. 
and that immediately sends the conversation into a different place. Now, I do want to address, Kate, what you said about sometimes, and I saw somebody ask this, what if you have a spouse that doesn't want to talk about it? Yeah, yeah. Um, number one, I would definitely encourage you to not force your spouses to talk about it. But here is, you know, and, and we also don't want to enable them to, by making an appointment for them and saying, well, I set up this counseling appointment, so now you have to go and talk about it. Because really the power of getting better and getting well is them taking the initiative. And so um, what I like to say is that sometimes we need to turn, I know we're going to get to questions here, Kate, in a second, so I'll finish saying this. Sure. Um, that what I like to tell a lot of the clients that I work with is that all we're doing is we're turning the light switch on in the room. So we already know that there is the tension and the conflict in your home of your spouse won't talk about it and there's consequences in your marriage because they won't talk about it. And, and those consequences are, are things like there's with, I feel like you're withdrawn, I feel like we're not connected, I feel like we have a lot of conflict because there's something that you went through and you won't talk to me about it. And so we all know the tension's there, we all know the conflict is there, we all know the disconnect is there. All we're doing is we're turning the light switch on and we're pointing out in the loving and kind way the consequences that we all know is there. And the way that you do that is just to say, I love you, I know you're struggling with something. I know that the deployment was difficult for you. And so by you not talking to me or not getting the help that you need, it's causing me to feel disconnected from you. I feel like we're not, um, we're not growing as a couple and I want to. And do you remember, point out a time when they did it before, do you remember that one time when you talked to me about your mom or you talked about your, you know, your best friend that hurt you? Do you remember how connected we felt after we talked about it and I listened to you? Um, I want that again. And so in a loving and kind way, you're able to just point out the consequences and turn the light switch on and show them this can be resolved, we can close this gap if we could start talking about it and I will listen tell me what can I do better to listen to you better How, where do you want me to sit what do you want me to talk do you want me to not talk and I will do whatever it takes for you to be able to feel comfortable and safe to share with me hey Corey I've got a really interesting question that I think you're gonna enjoy answering especially in the context of what we imagine versus what is reality. So somebody asked in reference to the desert color, do you think that the lack of color and smells in some cases makes the days seem longer and makes their time more boring or do you think it helps them focus? Both. Um, so uh, that's a really great question. Yeah. So for, for example, um, a lot of them said, you know, I, I've heard my husband say that it felt like Groundhog Day. Every day was the same. Um, and actually when I went to Afghanistan, I, was, I really enjoyed talking with some of the scouts from 10th Mountain Division there. And we were, ta we were talking about um, the monotony of things. <clears throat> and for a split second, um, somebody was saying they were going home, or I asked them when they, when they got there. And they said September. And so I, in my head, I was trying to do the math of how long they had been there. But I suddenly forgot what month we were in. And I asked them, I was like, uh, what month are we in? And they pointed to the tinsel wrapped on the USO um, stair stairway steps. And they're like, it's December. And I was like, well, how am I supposed to know it's December when you have nothing but a strand of tinsel hanging up? And so <laughs> we all laughed because... Um, it is so, there is such a lack of color and everything is the same every day and so you can lose track of time but here was the really cool part is that their answer to that was saying we actually don't mind that, in some ways it makes the time go faster but they definitely have a lot of fun and they, they Easter is not going to feel like Easter and Thanksgiving isn't going to feel like Thanksgiving but they do plenty of fun things to feel like they can celebrate so they were talking about in Afghanistan how the USO guy dressed up in a big turkey costume and then they all chased him and whoever caught the turkey like won the race or something and it, they have a blast and that's why I another reason why I think they come home and that becomes family because while we're having family with Thanksgiving they kind of create their own family and their their um, the camaraderie develops over time because of that so I think it's both I think the lack of color definitely makes it monotonous but I think they also um, figure out ways to have a really great time and I was able to see that um, okay, two more questions coming in, but let me start with this one because we've got a couple people asking about this. Um, 
how has your definition of sacred spaces really changed since the trip? I mean, we've talked about your definition of sacred spaces, and has it changed afterwards? Has it gotten clearer in some ways? I would say um, it has gotten clearer because, um, and this is why you don't have to go to the Middle East to better your marriage, because even though I went to Afghanistan, which would have been the most sacred, the closest I could get, even when I got to Afghanistan, when I called him on the phone, I was in tears. And yet he, like, and we all know this experience, right? When they call and they're having like this some kind of emotional moment, but we're just waking up and we have no emotion at all. And we're just like trying to just sound like we're awake. Like we're awake. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so here I was emotional. Like, I get it. Like, I see it. Like, I smell it, which is really the smell is just dust. <laughs> you know that smell when they get off the plane from deployment and you're like, oh, you stink. That is exactly what it all smells like over there. So here I am being emotional on the phone. And in that moment, I realized um, even though I wanted to understand fully his sacred space, there was no way for me to understand it because in that moment I had just created my own sacred space. He would never understand what it was like for me as a spouse to go to Afghanistan and call home. He would never understand that. And so in some ways um, the sacred spaces became more important for us um, but it did help with changing the way we talk about our sacred spaces so that we are using more of those sensory questions and I am trying harder to listen and put myself in his shoes and him doing the same thing and so it does help us close the gap a little bit but there are some sacred spaces I, I we don't have time to go into it right now um, I'm actually writing a book about all of this and so um, there are different kinds of sacred spaces and there are some sacred spaces that are reserved between him and his battle buddies that he went through those experiences with that only they are going to share and so my role I see now more clearly is as a spouse to be able to encourage him to go to those friends when he needs to talk and that some of those things I don't have to be the person mm -hmm. that he talks to he can go and talk to those other people and get validation get direction and get accountability for is he handling things the right way from those people who also experienced it Corey, I think this is a, this leads us into another good question. We're doing a final call out um, for questions, but um, you kind of answered that a little bit in the last about, and I don't know if I'm asking for resources here exactly, but um, one of the questions asked was, um, what about spouses that have a job that um, they can't speak about? I mean, they literally, it's it's the it's so confidential that they can't really discuss um, with their their partner um, what they're doing and what they've seen and they don't feel like they don't they don't have a lot of support in their unit um, or from a CEO or something like that what would you suggest a spouse and the home front or the, the other partner do as far as helping them get through their emotions if they can't talk about it yeah absolutely so number one I would say that a lot more places a lot more uh, of our special operations are giving permission to go get counseling and so going to the, psych the psychologist that's embedded within your group your service members group and asking because um, I know there's several psychologists that are embedded um, that have said um, no we do want you to go get help we do want you to talk about it and you won't lose your clearance for you to talk about mm -hmm. it because that's a whole lot better than having 24 DUIs in two yeah. months and so for to get first the accurate information of am I going to lose my clearance that's number one um, because sometimes we won't there are some situations where you can lose your clearance and so I think with your spouse or if you um, if you don't feel like you can go to counseling there are some general things that we can talk about whether you experience death whether you experienced woundedness whether you experience moral injury there are general things that you can talk about to be able to say to your spouse you know, um, I was asked to do some things that go against my values, and I'm really struggling with that. We don't have to go into the details of it, but at least it clues this, the family member into what's really going on um, and what your struggle is. Um, so definitely going and getting counseling if you need it. Um, I actually have a really great video that's on my YouTube channel that talks about how to use your benefits and how to get counseling if you need it and how a couple loopholes that your service member can go through um, if they're struggling to get um, help. Um, did I did I answer all of that or was there more? Yeah, 
I think so, and I think we're getting close to wrap up. I know we're going to have more questions that come in. I know there's a lot of spouses that are going to have questions for you. Um, what I want everybody to know is that we're going to make sure that we get everybody that's on this webinar all um, all the information to you and to your podcast. Um, if they have further follow-up questions that they can speak to you about. Um, and um, I know we want to kind of keep ourselves on time here. So I want to thank everyone. And Corey, I will um, let you've got um, 60 seconds. Oh, do we, do we want to <laughs> do the giveaway? Do we have? Yes, um, actually, we did. Um, did we already do it? Shelly Worrell. Yes. yes. Awesome. So, Shelly, um, we're going to get your information. Congratulations. We got we'll get your information and your address, and they'll send it to me, and I'll make sure that I send it out. Kate, is it okay if I do a goodbye? Yeah, and Shelly, if you send your contact info to social at militaryspouse.com, that's social at militaryspouse.com, and Corey, you take it away. Okay, so guys, I just want to thank you for joining me. Thank you for being a part of this. I know we could go on for hours, and so I hope to do this more. Um, I know there's so many great questions about marriage, and so um, feel free to um, join me on my Facebook page or on Twitter. Um, email me if you have questions. I know well, I will get, if you've already asked these questions, then I'm going to go through them and see if I can't answer them somehow. Um, maybe I'll create a separate video that answers them. But I just want to say thank you for joining me. Thank you for supporting me on such a crazy trip, but um, it really was for you guys, and I hope to be able to address that more later. So, th and thanks to Military Spouse Magazine for setting this up and, and for allowing me to do this and for setting up the webinar tonight. Karaya, you've done awesome, and Kate, your questions were great too. And so I just want to say thanks and that I love all of you guys, and I'm so excited to, to serve you more this year. Thank you so much, everyone, and we'll talk to you all soon.